Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Things United podcast. This is the third episode of the podcast, and on today's lineup, we are going to discuss United's 4-0 win over Crystal Palace, as well as two huge injuries in the Premier League, whether Christian Pulisic should be someone that United should be looking at in the future, and whether he can possibly be the one who can wear the infamous number 7 jersey. And finally, I'm going to end this podcast off with my thoughts on the international break. I feel like this is a discussion point that a lot of football fans have on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think most fans are in the minority of saying that the international break isn't a good thing, but however, I won't ramble on about this too much. I'll leave it for later in the podcast. But yeah, I just I hope you guys enjoy. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying what I'm doing. And also, if you could, uh, leave a review and just tell me how I'm doing with this podcast. It's a new thing for me. I've just started off, so comments are always appreciated. Before I start, it's quite a rainy day outside uh, outside the studio, so hopefully that won't be too much of a bother in terms of audio, but yeah, as always, guys, hope you guys enjoy, and yeah, let's get right into it. So going into this week of the United Games, we had a game in the Champions League against CSK in Moscow. This was away from home, a trip to Russia for the United boys. And going into the game, like all of my games, and it's going to sound really repetitive, um, I was very confident. I think a team of our stature should be beating all the teams in our group, uh, Benfica included. So, yeah, and I think, as I've said in a previous podcast, I think the Champions League group stage is a good chance for us to show our depth and to show how deep our squad is. We ended up winning this match. 4-0 4-0 with two goals from Lukaku, a goal from Henrik Mkhitaryan, and finally a goal from Anthony Martial. Um, this game won as I expected it to go. Uh, Moscow really weren't threatening on the ball, and it was all united in this match. We kept most of the possession, most of the shots on target, and yeah, they posed very little threat to us as an overall unit. Um, I think after this match... Mourinho was very pleased. He said it was a professional performance, which I agree with. Uh, I think that in order to prove that you're a top side and not only the Premier League, but Europe, you have to show that you can not only compete in your respective league, but also in the Champions League or any other European competition, like the Europa League last year at the United. So um, that definitely left me feeling good and feeling confident in this upcoming game against Crystal Palace. Um Crystal Palace, I think they had a sort of bigger storyline. Of course, United being undefeated so far in the Premier League, but Crystal Palace haven't actually managed to win a game. They came off a 6-0 drumming by City. I believe it was 6-0. It might not have been 6-0. I'm sorry if it's not. Um, but not the point. They got absolutely demolished by City. Um, so I really wasn't expecting much from Crystal Palace. They had uh, overturned manager Frank DeBoer after four games, which I discussed uh, in a previous podcast saying that it was way too early of a resignation or a firing uh, for DeBoer. I think he should have been given a little bit more of a chance, maybe 10, 15 games into the year. But maybe by then it would have been too late. So maybe they thought this was the right move. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to see Timothy Fosimensa. I believe it's a rule that low-knee players can't play against their former clubs. So... Couldn't see him in action, but that's okay because, to be honest, I, I don't think he would have made too much of a difference to the results. 
I love Fasa Mensa, but the way Crystal Palace is playing at the moment, their heads are just dropped. Uh, so yeah, going into this game, I was fully expecting a win. Crystal Palace also haven't scored a goal this year, which is surprising with the likes of uh, Benteken and Zaha on the wings. Uh, yeah, I definitely expected more from them, especially with the start that they've had. They've had some fairly easy fixtures playing against the likes of Huddersfield and teams like that. So definitely had all right to be confident and fully expecting a United win. It was a pretty unchanged lineup. We had Mata in the squad, who I think we had in the last game. Um, Young out on the right. Yeah, so Young out on the left, sorry. So, yeah, basically an unchanged side. Um, I don't think in terms of the Premier League with how we're playing, I don't think we should really be tinkering with the squad that much. I think... It's that old saying, you know, if it isn't broke, why fix it? So I think Mourinho is just going to go with the squad he has and, you know, use those players like the Martials and the Herreras to come on with 20 minutes left and with something to prove and hope that they can add something to the game, maybe open up the game. So I think what he's doing so far is smart and I'm liking uh, his strategy going into all these games. So, yeah, so the game started out and it was pretty much the common theme of how this year's been going so far with teams just parking the bus pretty much, trying to absorb our pressure and then count and then catch us on the counterattack. The thing with Crystal Palace is that they aside from Zaha, they really don't have that many threats on the counterattack. So we found it pretty easy to handle them. And also just the general like ability of their players just is nowhere close to, you know, the players of United's caliber. So it was a fairly easy start to the game. We actually managed to score first with Mata uh, scoring in the fourth minute. This was created by a lovely bit of skill from uh, Marcus Rashford. He was on the wing, how he's how Mourinho is usually deploying him, but he ran down the wing and then stopped, um, looked up, assessed the situation, and then cut back onto uh, onto the far edge of the, of the ball. So he, so he cut back. I'm explaining this really terribly. But basically he stopped and then just did like a sudden movement, almost like a ball roll, and just completely sold the defender for dead. Like I swear, the defender was like looking behind and like not knowing where Rashford had gone. And I think by then it was already over. I think Rashford had a clear idea of what he was going to do. Uh, if you're trying to get a more like visual sort of imagery in your, in your head of this, wonderful turn from Rashford. I would equate it to, uh, have you ever seen the Roadrunner cartoons where you have the coyote uh, waiting on the edge of the cliff to catch the Roadrunner and then the Roadrunner just runs past him and leaves him in the dust? Yeah, that was that was his turn. It was, it was nasty and ridiculous and you should definitely check it out if you haven't already. Um, I'm assuming you have been United fan or maybe you might not be. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so he did the turn, and then <laughs> and then he squared the ball to Mata, who had ran into the box, and then he just finished it in the corner. Uh, great start to the game, four minutes in, set the tone. Uh, yeah, so definitely excited after a goal like that. You know, nice little team play uh, build-up. Yeah, so yeah, it was a good start. I'd like to see Mata getting on the score sheet. Uh, I personally like Mata. Uh, don't think he should necessarily be starting every game. Um but yeah, I think for what he does and what he adds to the team creative, uh, from a creative aspect, I think he should be someone we should utilize in like cup games and 
Champions League, maybe later on in the Champions League, or if we get further, maybe play him in the league a little bit more. Sort of rotate him and Mkhitaryan. Um, I don't really think him and Mkhitaryan should be in the same team, as they kind of do the same thing. Again, I've sort of stated this in a previous podcast, but um, I would personally have a midfield three of, since Pogba's injured now, just forget Pogba, um, Fellaini, and then Matic, and then Herrera, because Herrera does add something from a sort of workhorse aspect. Uh, He adds a bit of speed in the midfield, a bit of dynamism, so... Yeah, so I would definitely be including him more, but I think from what I've heard, there's been disputes with him over contracts and things of that nature, so I think maybe Jose's waiting for him to sort that out uh, before he inevitably starts starting him every game, you know, sort of secure his future and that kind of stuff. So we should see uh, that gets sorted out in the next couple weeks. Hopefully he stays, because I would love for her. He's 28. Uh, Yeah, he's a good player. So back to this game. Um, for the rest of the first half, we really just created chances, uh, got very close to scoring, and just absorbed any sort of pressure that Palace managed to mount, uh, controlling the possession. And yeah, it was a fairly professional first half. I know I keep using professional, but it was a it was a straightforward first half to say the least. Um, to start the second half. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, guys. Um, I actually forgot. I'm just looking at my notes now. Um, so Fellaini actually managed to score in the 35th minute. I'm such a dud. If you guys want to know, um, I'm recording this on two, on Wednesday. So it's been a couple days since the NI match, and also I've been traveling, so my memory might not be the clearest, but just give me a second. So, yeah, he actually managed to, to score, which I always kind of enjoy seeing. Just to see his reaction as well as like just United fans in general, because I think he, as I've stated in the previous podcast, he does divide opinions. So, um, I like seeing him score. Um, I think, you know, it annoys opposition fans because it's Fellaini, and I think it's just hilarious. And obviously, I love seeing him score. So, on this particular goal, he was just in the back post and managed to volley it in. Uh, off a couple like deflections and so that was good and then so we went into the second half being 2-0 up fairly comfortable uh Mourinho was happy you know not many changes to be made just sort of seeing out the victory and making sure we kept the clean sheet uh making sure that we you know retained the three points going into the second half we again created more opportunities uh Rashford ended up getting a free kick on the edge of the box about four minutes into the first half uh, he, I don't really know what he was doing. See, he could the way the free kick was going in was, it looked like a cross, but it was fairly like low and hard. Like it was, it was driven. Like it was a fast cross. So it could have easily been him trying to shoot and it just came off his boot wrong. But for me, I don't, I don't know, but he'll still take the credit for the assist because ultimately the ball comes through and Fellaini manages to get his head on it and just direct the ball into the goal. So yeah, that was the second goal for Fellaini. Fellaini on a brace, which is just ridiculous. I mean, you, you don't see you know many like Premier League strikers getting braces, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you see Fellaini getting two. I mean, granted, it is against the likes of Crystal Palace, so I mean that isn't much to gloat about. But hey, I just found it funny, you know, him getting two goals. That's pretty impressive for Fellaini. Um, 
Yeah, so that put us up 3-0, and then we finally ended the game with, uh, of course, Lukaku getting a goal. Um, being assisted by a great run from Anthony Marcial, who came off the bench. Um, he squared the ball in, and Lukaku just tapped it in. Uh, good for everyone who had him on his fantasy team, on their fantasy team, you know, getting those points. I know I did, so I was happy to see that. And, of course, Marcial getting an assist. It's just more confidence for him, and... I feel like uh, he's just going to get better and better, and I'm so happy that he's playing well and that he's, get, he's, getting, he's getting a chance to play because I think under Van Hall, he was given a chance, but I think his confidence wasn't as high as it is right now. I'm just going to take a break to take a drink of water. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was the end of the match, 4-0. Uh, seems to be a bit of a common theme for this start to the season. Us drumming teams for 3 0. Um, yeah, just keeping the wins coming. And yeah, um, still undefeated. Still, I, th- I believe we're top of the table. Or it might be City because of goal difference. I don't know. Um, I'll check it. But yeah, but we're up there. We're, we're, we're top two. Yeah, so now, uh, speaking of City, actually, uh, they, along with Chelsea, have received two massive injuries and I think those were the two sort of main talking points of the weekend uh so in regards to Sergio Aguero uh the one who shall not be named because of that infamous Queens Park Rangers goal which still haunts me to this day but nonetheless um he was in he was in Amsterdam I believe he was with the uh he was with the Argentinian national team, or he could have been with with um, City because I think they played Fire Nord. Yeah, they, no, I'm pretty sure he was with the national team in Amsterdam, or he may have just been in Amsterdam. I have no idea. I don't follow City. Okay, um, so yeah, um, he was in he was in Amsterdam, and uh, news broke. I think it was uh, Sunday. I think it was Sunday. News broke that um he ended up being involved in a car crash, and he ended up. I think he broke his ribs, or he did some sort of rib rib injury to him. Uh, so now he's gonna be out. I think it's four to six weeks. Which I mean, for a team like City, that's 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 a huge problem, obviously, because he's a goal scorer and he was in great form as well. But they've got Gabriel Jesus, so they they should be okay. Uh, in regards to the second injury that sort of occurred this weekend. Uh, we had Alvaro Morata picking up a uh, hamstring injury. Co- uh, coincidentally, sorry guys, I'm speaking kind of quick. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, he picked up a hamstring injury against City. So he looks like now he's going to be out for five to six games. So that's a huge blow for them. I don't know what they're going to do in regards to a striker. I know they have Michi Batshuayi, but I don't think, honestly, Conte wants to start him up front in the Premier League. Even though they do have fairly easy fixtures with the likes of Crystal Palace playing next. Uh, I was looking at their schedule. Yeah, it's pretty easy games for about five games. So I think they should be fine. Uh, Interestingly enough, they have Hazard coming back, so they could play Hazard at striker. I, I don't know, but that's that's huge for United because with those two out, yeah, I don't see City or uh, Chelsea really losing in those times when their strikers are out, 
but it'll definitely affect their teams and how their teams play. So if we can just continue being on this role that we're on and making sure that none of our players get injured, um, we should be, you know, fairly dandy. And we could end up getting a pretty sizable point advantage over them if they end up dropping points. Uh, again, I don't really see them dropping points, but it's something to definitely talk about. Um, and I think going forward for those teams, I think, as I've said in a previous podcast, uh, I think depth is going to be an issue for for definitely Chelsea. I don't know about City, but that blow to Aguero just as a team leader uh, is huge for them. Um, and I think definitely now is the time more than ever for United to truly capitalize on this. You know, you got to strike when your opponent's weak. So I think definitely... Uh, it's it's a bit of it'll be something to watch in the Premier League uh, how they necessarily play without those two, and I know Morata just coming in for seventy five million. I know that'll be a huge blow to maybe like the fans at Chelsea because I know they were expecting a lot out of him. And I mean five five weeks. I mean that could make a big difference for them. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, enough really rambling about that. Um, they're just that's just too huge talking points uh we had liverpool dropping points to newcastle away from home uh which was hysterical for me because you know i love seeing liverpool drop points and yeah that was that was huge i i think i think klopp's gonna leave by the end of this year honestly i don't i don't i know everybody loves him and everybody loves how he hugs all his players and how all his players are behind him and all this stuff but i think he's just not getting results and i think for Liverpool to keep him, yes, as a figure and as a marketing head for like Germany and places like that, I think it's uh, huge for them to keep him and for them to uh, move forward. But I think in terms of the results he's getting, I think he needs to either show some incentive in the transfer window or he needs to start like getting pretty convincing wins because I think patience for a lot of people in Klopp is getting very thin, and I think his whole Jurgen press style of uh, always moving fast and always pressing for the whole 90 minutes is wearing on his players, and I don't think it has much longevity if you're playing two or three games a week. Uh, like Liverpool will be now in the, I think, yeah, they're in the Champions League, so uh, two games a week in the Champions League plus cup matches. I just don't, I don't think that style of play is... One that can last for a long time, especially in terms of your player's conditioning and stuff. Like, I don't see a player like Jordan Henderson, you know, running up and down the field constantly at the highest speed possible. Like, I just I just don't see that happening. Um, I think Firmino needs to start scoring more goals because right now it's looking like Coutinho is just overshadowing him. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be interesting. Maybe Sturridge can get back on for him. But, hey, I'm rambling about other teams that aren't united on an all things united podcast well i'm sure if any of you guys actually comment uh you'll be sure to rip me to shreds on that but hey i just like talking about the premier league and it's a side topic for me to discuss to make the podcasts a little bit more lengthy to make them a little bit deeper to give more of a scope of how things are going not only for united but the major rivals around them so yeah okay now I've got two talking points here, and I don't really know which one to go on. So I'm going to discuss a player named Christian Pulisic. Uh, For many of you, like, 
European sort of followers uh, or just avid soccer fans, um, you'll know who Christian Pulisic is. Uh, he's a, I believe he's 19. No, he might be 17, actually. Let me just check. I, I think he's, no, he's 19 for sure. He's um he's a young winger for Borussia Dortmund who actually comes from uh who actually plays for uh the United States. And he's somebody who's been getting a lot of media publicity, possibly being the next breakout star for uh for the US. Um I think the US has a players like Howard, but I think this guy with his ability and how good he actually is on the wing. I think he could be their their biggest star yet, and their possibly like first international star. I know he gets like a lot of uh, abuse from like former players because of how like quick he's rose to stardom and stuff. But I think that's what you've got to expect. And yeah, he he is nineteen years old. He isn't seventeen years old. He was seventeen when he first signed for Dortmund, but now he's nineteen. He's been in that sort of main tier of the squad the first, roaming around the first team and now he's actually getting first team opportunities playing in the Champions League and the Bundesliga um, he's actually getting like a few goals and assists in the Bundesliga which is nice uh, he's a very dynamic player very quick player like most young wingers are I think he possesses a a soccer IQ that not many of the American players possess like I know they're professionals but like I think this guy in terms of overall potential I think he has the biggest potential of a lot of them. Um, and I think he could be showing us the sort of new breed of like American talent that's starting to come into the ranks. So that's definitely exciting. I'm sorry if that got into the mic. I'm pretty sure it did. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, he's a very exciting and polarizing player. Just because... He is uh, American, and you don't see many sort of like internationally recognized players from the U.S. Um, as a whole, because they they're a fairly new nation in regards to soccer, and I think their main focus is like building up the game. Obviously, they've uh, built that up with the success of the women's national team with players like Alex Morgan and uh, Carly Lloyd. But um, yeah, I think with him, he's definitely a figurehead. And for me personally, I love watching him play, and I just think he's a fairly, like, nice human being. Uh, I would love to see United actually sign him, and uh, potentially, I don't want to sound, like, from a business aspect, but they would profit off of him. Like, having him on the wing for United, and I know we have a lot of wingers available, and that may cause problems, and also he is young, so maybe you don't want to buy him? In case of like a Raheem Sterling kind of situation where you buy him young and you buy him quite expensively and he doesn't particularly pay off with the potential that you hoped. Um, but I think from if you're Ed Woodward and you're looking from that business aspect for Manchester United, having this guy play on the wing, maybe give him the number seven, maybe don't. I mean, we gave Ronaldo the number seven when he was fairly young. Now, I'm not saying this guy's anywhere near the level that Ronaldo was when he was that age, but you could breed him into that number seven that we've been missing for so long, someone who's dynamic and quick and exciting and can run past players and wear that number seven jersey with pride because for so many years it's been tarnished with the likes of 
Depay, who I really had high hopes for as a, you know, potential superstar, and obviously, you know, his head and his um his whole attitude in general just wasn't fit out for wearing that, and that can show the possible negative aspects of giving someone a jersey of that caliber with the uh, global significance that it truly holds. I think that uh, not many shirts in soccer or football are more valuable than that number seven jersey for Manchester United because of just the longevity of it and how long it's uh, been around with like the likes of like George Best and Ronaldo and Cantona and uh, you know, the likes of them who have been uh, global superstars. I think that shirt does hold weight, and I think that giving it to someone like Pulisic, uh, the sky's the limit with him. And I mean, even if he does flop, like, we're still going to get huge fan support from the U.S., and U.S. fans are automatically going to gravitate, or many... I won't say U.S. fans, because some U.S. fans already have, like, allegiances to certain teams, um... But certainly new uh, soccer fans in the U.S. will gravitate towards United just for the fact that they have an American guy playing on the wing for them and who's being relatively successful, exciting to watch, young, etc., etc. So from a business aspect, I think that's just golden. And also the thought of having Lukaku, who's 24, and then having Rashford, who's 19, and Pulisic, who's 19, that's... That's bonkers. Like, that could be your that could be your front three, on top of having someone like Martial, and Angel Gomes. I know I keep talking about Angel Gomes, but the potential that those three, just those three, Lukaku, Rashford, and Pulisic, and even if you want to take Lukaku out because he's twenty four, okay, bring in Martial because he's only twenty one. So you have a twenty one year old Martial playing out of the wing. You have a nineteen year old Rashford and a. 19-year-old Pulisic, that's amazing. And if those three were on a United sheet, I would be so excited because over the years, they're just going to build up into like a sort of, uh, into a sort of class of 92, but not really, I can't believe I just said that. Um, They're going to build their relationship over those years and potentially become better. Uh, They're going to learn each other's run patterns. They're going to, hopefully build up team chemistry, team camaraderie, and they're going to develop together. You're going to see Rashford playing on the England squad and starting for them, and then you're going to have Pulisic, who's going to be obviously the main star on the U.S. national team, trying to lead them to uh, progress in the World Cup. So I think the possibilities of signing someone of his caliber would be absolutely massive. And just seeing how good he actually is, at the age he's at, and playing for a team like Dortmund, which is probably the second best team in Germany, I would I would say. Um, not being a uh, excessive watcher of the Bundesliga, I would say that you know Dortmund's the second best team there, and it's a fairly big team uh, internationally. I know they have a lot of like support from the likes of Asia. Uh, I know their like arena and the fans there obviously expect a lot of them. So I think bringing in someone like him would be so exciting. And, like, we don't even have to give them the number seven. Like, that's not that's not the point in this whole conversation of, oh, Tom just wants someone to hold the number seven jersey. No, I want the concept of having Pulisic and Rashford on the same team for even, uh, let's say, the minimum amount of years is 
five years. So then by the time they leave, they'll be 24, peak of their careers, and they'll probably leave to go to the likes of Real Madrid or somewhere like that. Um, To have that for however many years would be unbelievable, and it would be so exciting for so many United fans. No, 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 no. I'm going to pump the brakes now. Okay. So, enough of me getting overly excited about Pulisic. Now, the possible negatives of bringing a player like Pulisic. Um, you see, now he just adds to our, like, wing dilemma. Like, if we were to bring him in, first of all, what would that do to Martial's confidence with him being on top of the world, scoring goals, getting assists, starting to improve, starting to get confidence under Mourinho? If we brought somebody like him in, would that necessarily worry him would that make him drop in form would that make him possibly request a transfer god god forbid um also the likes of lingard what do we do with him he's fading out of the squad now do we transfer him out do we loan him out what do we do with him the likes of angel gomes what do we what does that mean for him i know he's a cam but he's also a creative player uh the likes of Juan mata who's 28 29 years old uh does he now start getting second thoughts about staying with the team so I think from a depth aspect, it is kind of dangerous to bring in such a young player with so much potential because it could affect the team in the wrong way. Um, I mean, I hate to use Luke Shaw, but we brought him in when he was young and he necessarily hasn't really panned out to what I thought he was going to be. Now, to be fair, I had extremely high expectations for Shaw, so I don't think he was ever really going to pan out into the player that I wanted him to be, but I mm, I just see players like, I'm going to go back to Sterling because he's the only one I can think of right now. Um, go back to Sterling, and it's like, I don't want to pay in this current market 80, 90 million for a full set, or I don't know, that might be excessive. Um, 50 million for a full set, and then it not end up uh, benefiting us in the long run because I think we have seen in the past that players that we fought for a lot of money, especially wingers and wingers that we have given the number seven to, that they have burned us in the past. Uh, the likes of Di Maria just popping in my head right now. Um, we bought him for, I think it was 48 or it might have been 60 uh, million from PS. Uh, no, not from PSG, from, uh, from Real Madrid. Um, and I think at the time he was considered one of the better players in the world, but I think giving him that number seven so early and wanting him to play well instantly. Also, you got to put in the fact he was playing with Ben Hall, but like I don't want another situation like that. And also the fact that he's so young, I would hate to see, um, especially for the U.S. demographic, someone of his caliber uh, go to waste. And even though I would... To end this sort of rant tangent kind of thing, um, I would love to see him at United. I think he would be a great signing. It's just a question of how much money we would actually have to pay because I think the payoff financially from a market aspect would be huge. But uh, I don't know. It's just a thought, and he's one of my like favorite players in the world to watch uh, just because I'm American, and it's sort of that personal pride. So, yeah, I'm just going to take another drink. Okay, now, um, going on to these next couple weeks, we have an international break. I think it's for two weeks. Um, 
I know the Liverpool match is on the 14th, so it's the 4th today, so 10 days. So basically two weeks. Um, my thoughts on the international break is I honestly hate it. Like, I, I just do. It's It's not enjoyable for me i know for some like fans who are very like patriotic like i have cousins who are very patriotic and they 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 enjoy the international break just to watch england um i think uh i think these games are very insignificant in the long run as many of them are just qualifiers which i think the likes of like england and those bigger teams should really be qualifying for as opposed to uh the smaller teams it's obviously a big chance to play against those big teams and to prove to themselves that uh they can play with those bigger teams but just over the years i've seen the likes of uh like england disappoint and it's just honestly something that I don't really enjoy watching um you know i just get disappointed and i think ultimately these international games should be moved to pass the regular season. Um, just because, like, the impact that it could have on a team like United or any other team in the Premier League, any league in the world. Um, say, for example, Ronaldo is playing against Malta, and he gets a ACL injury or a uh, ankle injury, and he has to be out for uh, four months. Like, the ramifications of that from a business aspect as well as, like, the overall team success would be huge. Or, like, seeing uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, Hazard, he played for Belgium, and he was out for... No, he was out for six weeks, I think, because of an ankle injury he sustained in training. So, I think, really, these international games, for me, are pointless and they're not very entertaining and they're really just another opportunity for one of our star players to get injured and yeah i just think they're insignificant and i think really if you need to have qualifying i think you say to the top i don't know how many teams is there in like a european competition like 32 no 36 maybe i don't i don't know there's like 20 something like that say there's 30 okay say there's 30 teams playing in a World Cup, I think you say to the top 15 teams, all right, you don't have to participate in qualifiers. And then you lead, you leave the other 50, other remaining, I don't know. I don't know how this would work logistically, but um, you would leave the other teams that still needed to qualify, you would give them the opportunity to compete in qualifiers. Um, now, again, just extrapolating my point, um, there are bigger players that play for teams outside of the top 15. So don't know how that would work. Uh, you have the likes of Lewandowski for, uh, Do uh, no, not Dortmund, uh, Bayern playing for Poland. So how that would work, he could still potentially get injured. Uh, you have um, the likes of Eric Bailly playing for uh, the Ivory Coast. So he could, like, Obviously, playing these um, international games, it isn't going to stop the problem of players getting injured because ultimately it's just more games. What I'm proposing, just to end this tangent, is that we move these games from being in the middle of the season to before the season, so like the summertime, 
Yeah, just before the season, because that's that's when the likes of the World Cup and the Euros go on anyway. And even if you got into a situation where a big player got injured, it wouldn't, unless it was like a horrific injury, like a leg break or something like that, it wouldn't ultimately end up affecting the team as a whole. Um, And it would give teams enough time to like make transfers or make replacements. Like if someone gets injured now, like, I don't know, say, I don't know, say Matic gets injured for Serbia. Now that I've said that certain Matic is going to get injured for Serbia, um, what are what do we do? We we can't sign anyone. Um, we would have to look in our youth academy and bring somebody up or play somebody play somebody else who's maybe not that first team quality that we want. So yeah, I just I see them as like huge pains and I don't enjoy them. And yeah, so again. Uh, Sorry to end this podcast on a sort of negative sort of note, but I just, seeing that these next 10 days are going to be international games, I just thought I would share my opinion on that. And going into the next Premier League match, we play Liverpool on the 14th, which will be a huge game, a huge rivalry game, big hatred between those two clubs. Uh, Obviously, United winning the league 20 times and Liverpool winning 19 times. Uh, There's a hatred between them. Uh, also, the Merseyside versus Manchester aspect, the history of uh, the shipping industry with Liverpool being the sort of founders or uh, they were like the original sort of uh, hotbed for the shipping industry in the UK. Um, and then Manchester coming along and starting their own shipping sort of industry and them ultimately taking over because of their location in the UK. Um, there's a lot of animosity with that between Manx and uh, Scousers, uh, for the lack of a better term, uh, people from Liverpool. So there's a lot of hatred for that, as well as just the football rivalry. Uh, we've had many infamous moments over the years. One that sp- spots in my mind is uh, Steven Gerrard sending off. Uh, you have the likes of, a lot of these are going to be United wins, but like Berbatov's hat-trick against Liverpool, um, I remember they beat us 6-1 at Old Trafford, which is a pretty hard pill to swallow. They were also wearing those horrific gray kits, which I can, uh, I still have horrible flashbacks to that. Um, Yeah, just horrible. So I'm definitely looking forward to that match. I think we can absolutely just destroy them because their defense is just diabolical. And yeah, I think we're just on a better trajectory as a team. And yeah, so... I'm expecting three points again. Um, I can't wait until I come on one of these podcasts and United end up losing because then I'm just going to look like an idiot. But, of course, I expect with our team to win every single game. Um, inevitably, we're going to lose. But, hey, uh, Liverpool will, will definitely be. And I'll be in a terrible mood for the rest of the week if we end up losing to them. So, yeah. So, I think that's where I'm going to end it, guys. Um Hope you guys enjoyed. Again, remember to uh, drop a comment or a review on the podcast. Tell me what to change, things like that. Okay, guys, I'll see you later.